How's it going everybody? I just posted the second video from Keith and I's Minnesota hunt last night on the channel. And if you watched that video, you probably saw at the end, we had a little post hunt breakdown that was kind of in video podcast form. I chopped that segment down to be pretty short so that it would fit into the video, but our conversation actually was pretty long. So I wanted to share that whole conversation with you guys because I feel like we touched on a broad range of topics that apply to a bunch of different hunting situations. We talked about things like hunting in thick cover, battling hot weather during the rut, trying to stay positive after making a bad shot, and also just trying to stay positive even when things aren't necessarily going your way. But no matter what your hunting situation is, no matter where you're at in the country, I think a lot of these topics are going to be pretty relatable to you. If you guys haven't been over to the shop on our website recently, I think that we've got some of the coolest designs that we've ever had. We've got a bunch of stuff too that's in camo that is great for wearing when you're hunting. And you can pretty much get geared up from head to toe just on our website. So if you guys want to go over to the shop, you can obviously go to our website, thehuntingpublic.com, or you can click the link in the description of this podcast. And if you want to save 10% off your order, you can use the code ZACH. And that's spelled Z-A-C-H, and that'll help you save a little bit of money on your orders. I think Hayden set that up to see who would sell the most stuff. And, you know, I guess I don't really mind if you use somebody else's name, but just don't use Jake's. Because the last thing we need is for him to win. The things that I really like, there's a bunch of t-shirts on there that are new designs. I think they're awesome. I think Hayden did a great job with them. That leafy suit that's on there is one of my favorite things that I've ever had for hunting. I used to wear a ghillie suit all the time, but the ghillie suit got to be a little bit too bulky. Everything got snagged on it, but this leafy suit is the perfect solution. It's got enough texture on it that it really helps break you up no matter what style you like to hunt. And also, I can put as many layers underneath of it or as few layers underneath of it as I want. When it's really hot out, I'll just straight up wear that leafy suit with nothing underneath of it, and it really helps me feel comfortable on those super hot days. And the final thing that I'm really excited about getting my hands on is the old school camo hat. I've been hoping to get an old school camo THP hat for a long time, and it's finally here. Along the lines of saving money, you can also save 10% on orders off of the Go Wild store with the code THP. We partnered with Go Wild to help combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. The other cool thing about Go Wild is they give you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you can unlock awesome rewards such as gift cards, free swag, knives, and huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex. Just by creating a free account, you unlock $10. And to create that free account, all you got to do is visit DownloadGoWild.com. All right, guys, it's rifle season. And for the time being, we're done hunting in Minnesota. And we just were going to talk about kind of what happened after Mitch shot that buck. That happened on October 30th. 30th. Mm-hmm. And after that, we continued to hunt. But... We didn't have a lot of good action to show you guys, but we wanted to tell you the story and some of the things that we learned on this hunt. We hunted several different areas um, on this trip, which is what we do a lot. We find you know, a plan A, plan B, C, D, as many as we can find really that we feel confident in. That way we can go in and aggressively hunt these different areas where we're finding the big sign. And uh, I felt like you know, in general, our strategy was good. We used a variety of tactics. We did some observation setups. We did a lot of still hunting and scouting, which we do all the time. And then we also did a lot of still hunting and bedding areas where we were doing a lot of calling, 
like rattling, grunting our way through bedding areas to try to find places that had good hot sign and set up on it. And I think that what was interesting for us was we didn't bump a lot of deer. We didn't see a lot of deer, but we were seeing so much big, fresh, well-used sign. And we were seeing deer in fields, too, like in places where we knew where they were coming from, these public land areas, too. Mm -hmm. And it just, I don't know, it was super frustrating because it seemed like no matter what tactic we were trying, we weren't seeing the results that we were hoping for. We were hoping to get a visual. Obviously, when we were doing observations, we were thinking at some point, you know, doing uh, aggressive calling tactics in bedding areas that we'd eventually pull a buck out of there, but we weren't. And I don't know, it, it makes you wonder, you know, was, you know, that strategy a little bit, you know, too early. I think the weather probably had a big factor in all this. The day that we shot at that buck on the 25th, ever since then, the weather was really warm. Talking mid-60s as a high, lows only, down in the 40s. We never had frost. Mm -hmm. You know, there was never any frost. And I think that... Warm south winds, mm -hmm. just like very monotonous weather we had for this time of year, yeah. Which we've dealt with that in the past. Like Ohio, we dealt with very similar conditions where you got nothing but south winds for, you know, the 10-day forecast. And I think that that certainly isn't helping us, but that's also not necessarily an excuse. You know, we didn't, we just weren't successful. And I think that what we're really trying to tell you guys is as much of the story that we have, even though we don't have much footage to go by. So we're going to kind of go through a fast paced version of what happened after Mitch shot that buck. Like I said, there were several places that we were hunting that we felt confident in. We were finding big sign, we are finding fresh scrapes that were being used often, but it seemed like every time we were setting up on those, we just weren't seeing very much, but they were ripped up scrapes. I mean, stuff that when you see it this time of the year, you know that there's multiple bucks using it, and you're assuming there's multiple shooter bucks using it. And I feel like both Keith and I were feeling very confident in what we were doing, but then again, when we weren't seeing the results, it became frustrating. And then you start to second guess yourself a lot. And that's just something that we battled with. Then it's hard to gauge your next move after those unsuccessful where you sit a scrape adjacent to bedding areas or something, or like one bedding area where we've seen deer in going into a field or something. You sit the scrape on it, you don't see anything. And it's like, what was wrong with that? Like you Mm -hmm. said, did we approach it incorrectly? Is it the wrong conditions? And then you just, you kind of, you're back to the drawing board rather than learning something that can put you further into that hunt. You're kind of just guessing again on the next yeah the next hunt yeah you don't feel confident to do something similar in the next spot because it didn't work and i felt like every single strategy that we put to use which are all strategies we like again the weather was definitely not in our favor which it is what it is you, you could make that excuse for a lot of different situations but um i think that as far as making the decisions we made i feel good about all of them it's just you know one of those things where when you don't come up with much it's hard to keep the confidence up and I think that's our number one struggle that was our number one thing that I think if there was something we did wrong it was just second guessing ourselves we committed to a lot of things and I think the thing that we did right and something that we talked about the most is that we used conditions to get into specific areas based off of wind Uh, wind speed wind direction 
uh, whether or not it was damp or not out, you know, those were conditions that we were looking at before we went on every hunt. And I think that's something that we did really well. And that's something I'm proud of and, we, and we'll take away from this hunt. Um, something that, you know, obviously we didn't do right was I made a bad shot on that buck. And I guess quickly would like to wrap that up in general for a little bit of closure for myself as much as anything. Like that's the toughest thing to go through in bow hunting, I think, is making a bad shot on a buck. And it's something that, you know, you'll always live with and you'll always learn from. And it's hard to bounce back from. I mean, I feel like we've got a lot of messages over the years of people in similar situations, like how do you bounce back? And, you know, my best piece of advice is, is take away the things that you can learn from that situation and just try to prevent that mistake the next time and just move on and be proud of the things that you did right. You know, you got yourself in that situation to get that opportunity. Don't look at it as a total loss from when mm -hmm. something like that happens. There's obviously, yeah, like you said, you got yourself to that situation. That was something we talked about on that hunt. It was like literally everything went perfectly. It was like the third day we had perfectly scouted into there, found the spot, didn't, didn't push in too far or anything, found the perfect bedding area, found like new felt really confident what we were going to do going into there and had the confidence pushing into that, had the conditions, everything played out. And then it was, it was the most perfect hunt going into that. So we can't just be like, man, that, that sucks. Like yeah. just move forward, whatever. It was like, we, at least we had that hunt to take something away from moving into the hunts after that. Yeah. And I think when you look back on Minnesota, both you and I were always going to think, oh man, unsuccessful, but you know, there is a little part of that that is successful. Now, as far as the shot goes, I mean, it's hard to recover from it mostly, I think, because you wounded an animal. And now you're thinking constantly, you know, there's an animal out there that I put a shot on, obviously hit him, don't know where exactly, but can make the assumption that it's a non-lethal hit, but you never really know. And I think that's just tough to, to battle with is that not having good closure, especially when you're traveling, you know, there's just so many things uh, about it that, you know, suck. And I, I feel terrible for the animal. That's number one. I feel bad that I hit something and it's still out there and has an arrow wound on it because I made a, a you know, a poor shot. As far as the specifics of that shot, I think what happened, you know, having more time to break it down is... Now, these aren't excuses either. I, I think that I want to make that clear. This is no excuse. This is just what I believe happened. In the heat of the moment, he came in, and he was lower in the grass than what I thought. Like, I thought I'd be able to see more of his body easily. With low light conditions like there were, he wasn't very far away. But when I drew back, so much was going on between my pin and where he was that I think I didn't settle the pin as much as I thought I did in the moment. I know that I settled the pin, but I don't necessarily know that I was using the correct depth perception, if that's the way to put it, to, to settle the pin through that stuff. If it was easy, you know, if it was daylight, if it was a little bit more daylight out, that's not the word. If it was a little bit brighter out, I think I would have been able to focus through that grass. And I think instead, I just kind of center mass shot the deer, which is a ten bad tendency I have is to just get it on him and pull the trigger. But in reality, I needed to just take that 
aiming point and drop it down a smidge more. Obviously, hitting too high, you got to aim lower. But I think in the moment, with it being dark like that and all that grass moving around me and the wind, I just kind of lost track of my pin and I made a bad decision on when to pull the trigger. You know, that's a shot that, honestly, you know, I feel like I should make being that close and, you know, the angle that it was and the position my body was in, everything was good. Low light conditions like that, I just need to take a little bit extra second to settle the pin and not panic. Another thing that I did wrong, and I think probably why I shot so fast and didn't put as much time into settling the pin, is I bleated at the deer way too loud. I mean, that's something that I remember right when I did it. I was like, oh, like that was too loud. And I panicked because he snaps his head and looks at us. And when that happened, I panicked. And I think I just shot sooner than I needed to. I know I did. I mean, obviously, I didn't settle the pin in the right position. Like, it's not a matter of, you know, whether or not I can get my pin on that spot at that distance. It's knowing Mm -hmm. that you're going to make that perfect shot. And you said he was almost out of your that lane that he was walking through too it was just that Mm -hmm. low light it happened he got through it quick it was hard to it just happened everything happened pretty quick there i would say yep and one final thing is i should have let down i heard him and i knew he was close so i drew thinking that he was going to step out at any second and i I guess that's one of those parts of it that could go either way but i wish i would have let down right away when i knew that he didn't that he wasn't just moving right through that when yeah. you first saw him on the other side of that dogwood. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I heard him, and I thought he was going to just pop out immediately. I thought he was already on his way. Well, I think he was over there scraping or rubbing or something because we heard antlers clanking, and I should have just let down, gave my body a break, my mind a break. Instead, I'm just holding the bow back for multiple minutes probably. I don't know how long it was for sure, but I would say it was at least a minute and 30 seconds, wouldn't mm-hmm. you? Probably, yeah. And, you know, if I had just held that, or if I'd have just let that back down, I think my body would have been fresher. It would have been a little bit easier to just anchor and make that good shot. But every situation's different. Again, I think had I done exactly what I did with a little bit more light, you know, had it been a half hour even later, I think settling the pin would have been much easier. But it's a mistake on my part. Absolutely no excuse. I just have to be better um, for the next time. And I think that Deer really are not that good at seeing you unless you're moving. He wasn't looking at us whatsoever when he was coming through. And that's exactly the point Mm -hmm. I'm I'm getting at is like he didn't know we were there. And in my mind, I just thought that he was going to have us nailed. And he had no idea we were there. And we didn't really have that good of a setup. But it just goes to show what you can get away with with whitetails. Now, if you're calling to him or something, it's going to be a little bit different. But he had no idea we were exactly where we were. He might have heard us getting, you know, set up and knew we were in the vicinity but he wasn't coming in pinpointing exactly where we were. And maybe he didn't hear us. Maybe he was just cruising through and that that's mm-hmm. the timing that it was. But regardless, you know, I think that I panicked so much that he was going to nail us. And, and that's, you know, a lot of times when I make the mistake of shooting too high, I'm not taking that extra second to settle the pin where I need to because I'm panicking that, oh, he's going to run away. And I think that we all get ourselves in that situation at some point or another. It's like, in the heat of the moment, time's moving so fast in your head <laughs> Yeah. when you really have a couple extra seconds. Like, even when I stopped him, I don't know that he looks exactly at us. And if he does, who cares? Like, I was already drawn. My movements were going to be so minimal that he wasn't going to notice that. And I think just settling that pin was 
was something that I should have done a better job of. But So after Mitch shot that buck, Keith and I had incredible confidence moving forward. I felt like it really was a pick-me-up for, you know, being down after struggling the days after hitting that buck. And, you know, it, it definitely boosted our confidence, and we were feeling like, well, there's no way. Best day of the year, Halloween. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> were fired up. That. And I, I, the excitement and the confidence was just max. I I feel like that's about as good as you could feel. And we started hunting again, and we did, I think, a, an observation setup. Didn't see a whole lot. I guess grunted in a real small buck and then saw some moose and then ended up going back to a spot where we had seen good fresh scrapes and it didn't really have much action there either but the best storyline and the closest that we got is kind of hard to explain in video when we don't have really good footage to back up exactly what we saw but we're going to kind of tell you guys the story and the progression of how that played out that way you can have an idea of what happened and kind of how close we feel like we really were to getting a buck on the ground there was a spot that we had scouted that was a cattail marsh or multiple like cattail patches pothole lakes that are just completely surrounded by cattails just prime bedding completely surrounded by ag big wood lot and it also was really dense thick timber brushy uh like habitat with also some aspen even a little bit of oak in there and it was really really dense and the deer were definitely bedding on the edges of the cattails. And when we were in there the very first time, we kind of had just let, you know, the wind take us in that direction. And we just kept pushing deeper in there and eventually came across all these big beds and rubs that looked like they were, you know, a little bit old, but had been taking place in October. And the first time we had gone in there, it was just because we were walking back through. We were like, let's check out one spot where we had known there was a green field it was in the same piece but we wanted to run and check one spot out and then we were just like let's just keep going let's get way back there there's another spot back there where there's another green field mm-hmm. a separate field where we had seen deer in across the road we had seen the public from the road and been able to just be like oh it looks decent over there but then we going into the next part of the story where mm-hmm. we drove on that road yep so again we confirm that this area is is holding bucks has been holding bucks and i guess the final thing that we found that day that we were scouting in there was this really defined scrape line like we said everything was super thick to the point where it was hard for a buck even to traverse it there were these very specific buck trails that were like tunnels and they were big and wide enough that a buck could go down it they were also just major funnels around those cattails as well that all animals were using i'm sure over the years you know moose bear wolves coyotes everything in that area just tunneled into the ground just old ancient trails yeah it honestly looked like it had been there for a hundred years you know and it was obvious that the bucks were using those trails because they would eventually hit these openings where there was canary grass they were kind of like a dried up slough and there were these major scrapes in them like one of them didn't even have a licking branch and that's the one that we were most excited about there was a big x where trails crossed and there were these two huge scrapes no licking branch. You could tell the bucks were just hitting that spot and tearing it up. But connected to that was, you know, other scrapes that we kind of created a cruising route in our brain of how the bucks were going to be traversing through this area. So fast forward a couple days, 
I don't really know how many days it was, but we had hunted some other areas and had some other um, attempts at getting, you know, deer spotted or shot at, but we were extremely unsuccessful. And in the back of our minds, we knew that this cattail area was going to be really good. The problem was, is the access was going to be really challenging because it was super thick. So we were waiting for a really windy day. That was coming up in the forecast, but it was several days ahead before we felt like we were going to get back in there. So in the meantime, we were attempting different strategies. We were unsuccessful doing that. But before we got the conditions to go back in there, we made a loop around that piece of public land. And how it set up was the public land had its boundary, and then there was just a grassy field that went from that hard edge to the road and then across the road there was a green field there and as we were driving down that road one day kind of making an extra little loop just to take a look at it we were looking at tracks coming from the public land to that green field assuming a lot of that movement is at night we were just trying to confirm that they were still you know going from the public to the the private green food source and as we were driving down the road we came across a huge track we just were feeling really good and then tracks all over the road too Tons Dome tracks just trails hammered across the road it was pretty spectacular so that's making us feel confident that that scrape line is going to be on fire because if the does are coming from that bedding area the bucks are probably going to be crossing their trails hitting those scrapes so the next morning we finally got that super windy condition that we were waiting for we went in really early we got up extra early to sneak in there we were going incredibly slow. This is the part of the story that I wish we could show you more footage of, but when it's dark, cameras don't work. And we were six minutes from legal light, and we were five yards from our setup. And we were sneaking in there, really taking our time, knowing that there's no rush. You know, we, we have time. And honestly, this timber is so thick that anything could be a setup. And we knew that. If we were going to get jammed up by here and deer move around or whatever, so be it. We could just plop down and we'd eventually make it to our setup where that scrape was. And six minutes before legal, five yards from our setup, we make a ex little bit of extra noise on one step. We pause. No big deal. Like, we pause and listen, which is something that we do all the time, especially walking in or still hunting. If we make a little extra noise, we don't keep going and make more noise. We just stop and listen because especially this time of the year, you can call in deer by just making noise. They think you're another deer. When We, we don't know that this is what happened, but it kind of seemed like it. As soon as that stick broke, we heard deer moving. So we hit the deck, we crouched down, just got up against a tree. I pulled up my binos and walking straight through the trails that we were you know, moving towards setting up on, I pulled up my binos and then through the dark, I could see a monster buck. He was big. And I don't know how big exactly, but he looked like he had 10 points and he might've had some stickers on his bases. He walked straight to that scrape that we were going to set up on, worked that scrape, and then he worked straight back the way that he had kind of came from, hit multiple other scrapes. And again, when it's dark, you just can't film anything. I mean, Keith had infrared on at that point. And so maybe all you can see is just like the bushes and you can just hear him scraping. And like, I was going to pull my binos up at one point to try to look at him because I could just hear you. You were just like, big buck. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, I'm sure. But like at one point, all I could see was just like 
darkness of a body. It's about about as dark as it can get when you when you can still be able to kind of see something yeah. what's going on. Yeah, I mean everybody's probably been in a similar yeah. situation where you can see deer, but you know it's not quite daylight enough to actually get good eyes on them. But through the binos, I could see him well enough to know this is a no doubt shooter buck. And because that happened, we felt that at some point he'd probably come back through. We let it get daylight and we, we called from where we were sitting. We didn't see him, figured he had moved away to where he couldn't hear us. I think one thing that we would do differently had we had the opportunity is we would have rattled to him. I forgot the rattling antlers, of course, that morning, which is honestly a huge bummer because I think that would have made a big difference. I think rattling in that situation would have been a great aggressive option, but I forgot the rattling antlers, which, I mean, maybe cost us an opportunity at that buck. Don't forget your rattling antlers. That's pretty stupid of me. And it was only, it was probably yeah, five or six minutes after we let it get to whatever legal mm-hmm. daylight was. It was really close to it. And we sat there and it's like, make sure we can see our pins and make mm-hmm. sure I can film because we mm-hmm. had just run into that on mm-hmm. your buck where it was legal light, but it's still super dark. And yep. it was like, it's light in those openings, but it's still really dark in those woods. Mm-hmm. It's the one thing. It's either thick or it's open. Yep. So we just let it get light enough and we made that call. And I think it was. It, sa- it seemed like it was a pretty aggressive calling sequence, but like you said, it could have been with those rattlers. It could have been a little bit more, but mm-hmm. regardless, didn't work. Yeah, and I think that the crazy part, if you could really show how close that was, from where we sat down, had it been legal light just five minutes earlier, that buck walked through multiple openings broadside at 25 yards, and it's like, oh, there's really nothing you can say other than, dang, that was close. And reading that sign, I think, is the part that is the most important. Keith and I don't run trail cameras on purpose. There's a reason that we don't do it. A lot of it is because we enjoy that thrill of trying to find big sign that makes us feel confident that there's a big buck there. We had no idea that deer existed. And it was one of the biggest bucks I've seen hunting in a then while. You get to make up in your head how big he could be, and then yeah. he was big. Yeah. Was. And when we saw that buck track on the road that day, that was confirmation that, okay, not only are we seeing big, aggressively hit scrapes with big tracks in them, we're also seeing this huge buck track crossing the road that's significantly bigger than all the other deer tracks. And I think that seeing that buck is just confirmation that, you know, our version of a trail camera picture big sign was correct. And I feel like that's something that we did right. You know, we got ourselves in the game just based off of reading big buck sign multiple times. You know, the one that we had the opportunity at early and then also this one that we saw that morning. You know, he was so close to us and it was so close to legal light. I mean, just a few little things go differently and you feel like, man, you know, maybe we do have a legit opportunity at that buck, but or if it was ten degrees cooler that morning because right. it was it was a warm, windy morning. Seventy degree just, is yeah, a high that day. It was the hottest it got that day. It was mm-hmm. just like we knew the conditions weren't going to be great, but it, we were just like, let's get in like right to where we think he's going to walk through at first light, if anything. And he walked through right before first light. It was just it was kind of a kick in the butt on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely didn't. It didn't make you feel good, but at the same time, it's like, well, we're we on there. him now. Yeah. yeah, and we're on him. So I guess we hunted the rest of that day in that same spot, thinking him or another buck would certainly come back. They didn't, and you nothing know, came through. Why that happened, I don't know. You know, there could have been deer that skirted around us that we didn't see. 
um, is super thick in there. We could really only see that opening, but there's a lot of different things that go through your mind. It's it, it certainly it, you're torn between. Did we make the right move <laughs> sitting here, or right. should we have chased him? Or yeah. yeah. And I think I think again, slightly different conditions, slightly different situation. We would have I think in this situation why we chose not to chase him is it was so thick in there that I was afraid that we would call him in and then not be able to get a shot opportunity just because it was such a high stem count forest like as much as it gets like yeah the north woods stuff is thick enough but then it was invasive buckthorn woods, yeah. so it's yeah. just like as thick as it gets stems everywhere and i just kept thinking like he's gonna he's gonna come in to even five or six yards and we're still not going to be able to get an opportunity to shoot because it's so thick and i think that's kind of what held us up and we wanted to make sure if like if we didn't spook the thing just play it safe we could come back in there and hunt it because we had really good weather days coming mm-hmm. up we felt confident that like we're on this thing we got a few more days to hunt this thing. Let's not blow it out if we if we can manage not to. And at this point, we feel like we're putting together a pattern, too. You know, he's using the green food source at night. He's coming back into the timber to cruise through the bedding area. And, you know, we felt like there was high odds we were going to catch him or another buck on this scrape line. So, like Keith said, we had two good weather days. But the next morning, we felt like it was going to be really tough conditions to get in super quiet. And we waited for the morning. We hunted a different area. Didn't have any luck there. Came back to this area, accessed it from a different route with a different wind than what we had had the day before. And we kind of set up a little bit further away from the action. We were trying to see if there were deer actually making it out of the bedding area, out to that field in daylight. We were sitting closer to the property boundary to where we could kind of see a little bit more versus just being real tight to that scrape where we can only see, you know, 20 or 30 yards tops and didn't really see much. We heard some deer moving around us, had some deer get down one of us and blow. And then the next day was our last day, which was yesterday. And we, we felt really confident that if we could get on that scrape, that we would have a really good chance at having a buck come through. Weather was as good as it had been since the 25th. Yeah. Yeah. And we just took extra time to sneak into that scrape so slowly and quietly that it was pretty much painful. You know, it was the type of deal where you're taking two or three steps at a time and stopping and listening. Dead calm, frosty morning. Dead calm. And we made it all the way to the scrape, and we saw a, a fawn bump off the scrape pop the headlamp up, see a deer, and we can tell that it's a super young doe, and she just kind of walked around us. We just stood there, waited, let her pass. Eventually, I think she blew a couple times. A couple times, yeah. But we still feel confident that there's a chance he's not around. He doesn't hear that. Even if he does, maybe he doesn't care because it's a fawn. I mean, that's all just theory, but we ended up getting to our setup well before light, sat there, let it get daylight, and pretty much right away we were hearing deer meandering around us. And never really confirmed what we were hearing, but eventually had a doe and a fawn make a complete circle around us. Same thing ended up happening. They got to point blank, and they started kind of throwing a fit, blowing, and it was like... Not after 
30 minutes of sitting yeah. still. We just sat super still for 30 minutes, and they circled 360 around us. It was pretty interesting, but we froze there for 30 minutes. And they couldn't smell moving. us. Yeah. That was, was, I think, the part that frustrated them so much is they eventually just got to a point where they knew they couldn't smell us, and they just kept getting closer and closer to the point that they were like five yards away, and then they just wouldn't give up on it. So we eventually grunted and kind of pushed them away as best we could just because it's like at a certain point it's like you got to get them out of there they're just going to keep doing that so we did that and i felt like you know even then it was like eh, that's not great but at this point it's one of those days where a buck could just be you know four or five six hundred yards away or more yeah and especially be seeing on the his does way. move through that was at nine thirty or whatever mm-hmm. that was and the does were just then getting through that opening getting back into that bedding mm-hmm. stuff so the deer blue though and we were starting to lose confidence a little bit. But something in our gut just held us up there. We kept standing up. We were going to leave. And we were like, yeah, let's let's leave. Let's start being more aggressive and still hunting towards some of these spots where we think he might be bedded or, you know, another buck might be bedded and try some calling. Just try something different. It's our last day. We need to be aggressive. But we kept getting held up. And it was funny because we stood up multiple times and then heard deer moving other you know multiple times or thought we heard deer and we'd get ready and get set up but the last time and this is the last like truly close call that again we can't show you a whole lot of great footage of but it's definitely one of these situations where we thought we were about to get an opportunity the gut feeling was the wind is starting to slightly pick up and when that happens it doesn't matter really if it's early season, like early September or late season and anywhere in between. It seems like in the morning when you have a calm morning like that and the wind picks up or the wind has a subtle switch to it, it's like clockwork. Deer start moving. It's something that we've seen for years. Ever since 2017, we started kind of coming up with a theory of that, that there was going to be some sort of bedding area shift at that wind change and that time can be a lot of different times but it does seem like there's consistently times where it happens like 8 30 to 10 30 9 30 if you if you just had to pick a time like 9 30 it seems like deer make some moves it happens again a lot in the evening where in my experience it seems like at 3 30 especially after the time change i guess before time change it would be 4 30 but something happens where the sun hits a certain level where the wind changes just a Thermals little bit. They start shifting. They start fighting back and forth. That's what mm-hmm. I noticed happen. And it happens more so in, in the hill stuff that mm-hmm. you, you hunt where you notice the thermals will start to fight with the wind. But here where it was flat, it was like the wind would pick up a little bit and then you could feel like the cold breeze hit you and then it would just like back, back. It would hit you in the face and then it would like drift back out into the opening and then it would do the predominant thing and then do the opposite mm-hmm. and just start just like floating around us Mm -hmm. that's when it like stuff felt different at that point because it was dead calm before that yeah basically our gut feeling then was hey let's just give it a little bit see if this wind switch brings you know something through sure enough we were close enough to the edge of the timber that i'm pretty sure we heard him bust into the timber i think that he cruised from a different woodlot completely across an open field and busted into our potentially across the road even yeah yeah and the initial thing that we heard was like, like one was kind of running or trotting in. And it was like, wait, hey, deer right here. Like we got to get ready. So we 
plop back down into our setup. We had been standing up, kind of listening. It was super calm still, you know, in the grand scheme of it. While the wind was floating a little bit more, it was still calm enough and, and crisp enough that you could hear things from a long way away. And this is one that we'll never be sure exactly what happened. But a deer walked straight to the scrape that was to our left. There was multiple scrapes kind of in front of us. One was off of kind of like our left shoulder and one was straight in front of us. And the deer walked just like a buck has a tendency to do a really, you know, precise cadence where he's taking a line straight to a spot. He walked to that scrape. He stopped. He didn't make any sounds. He took a few more steps and I saw him flash through the trees. And I mean, I'm talking, this is like such a subtle flash. He was only 30 yards away or less probably, but as thick as this timber is, unless he's in these specific openings, we can't see him hardly at all. I mean, when I say a flash, I'm talking, I saw the sun backlit on him and just like a glowing flash of a buck go through an opening. And he was standing at 30 yards. I was just about to draw. He stood there for a couple minutes, made a couple more steps forward, and then just like that, turned and walked straight back away that he came from. Now, the question that we'll always have is, did he smell us? Did that wind shift create enough you know, drifting of our scent that he got wind of us and wasn't totally freaked out, but decided to go the other way? Or was it just coincidence and complete bad luck that he didn't just walk straight into the opening that we had been set up on for countless hours on this hunt at this point? You know, it just, it felt like it was about to happen to the point that my heart rate was through the roof. I was so excited because I was like, here's the opportunity. And in my head, you know, what I had seen looked like a big buck felt you know, felt confident that this was, this was it. And I don't really know what happened other than he just didn't come through the opening. That's really all we can say. You know, there's a chance he caught our wind. Absolutely. There's a chance that he just decided to go back the other way because there was more betting the direction that he headed to. And after that happened, we kind of followed the direction that he went, set up on another big scrape that night that we thought he might've headed towards you know, that area to bed. We felt like there was a really good chance that we'd get him funneling through that trail where that scrape was. But lo and behold, all we saw was a couple year and a half old bucks. But I felt like we made a lot of good decisions on this hunt. You know, there was a lot of things that I'm proud of that we did. Um, you know, you can't control weather and you also can't control, you know, how thick an area is. There's a lot of times I think when you're hunting aggressive setups, four bucks there's going to be a lot of days where you hear deer you hear movement you know they're there but you're just barely off to the point that they can be in bow range like in this story that we just told where the buck comes up to the scrape and is just out of sight that deer was in bow range but we couldn't get an opportunity you can't force him into that spot and it's just like no matter how you know how hard you try a little bit of it just comes down to I mean, luck to a certain degree, you know, like maybe he really did just decide in that moment, hey, I'm just going to go the other way. Wouldn't that just be some luck? You know, it's like I went through here the other morning. I'm going to go take this trail now. Yeah. And it's 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 crazy because you can be 
in that stuff. You can be on one scrape that's completely opened up, and the next one that's 10 yards down the line is not opened up. And then you go a couple more later, opened up again. And it's just, you know, honestly, just luck of the draw to where they're going to go those days. And I think when you're in super thick stuff like that, trying to keep your confidence up is a struggle. Also, when you're trying to make hunting videos, you know, we wish we really wish we could describe all of what we saw a little bit better to you guys, but you can't, like I said, you can't film a buck in the dark and you can't film a buck that's on the other side of a bunch of brush that just, you know, doesn't walk into the opening. And it, it doesn't really make for exciting video, but we wanted to show you guys kind of what we were thinking, what we felt like was our closest opportunities to getting a shot at a buck and, you know, kind of the strategy that took place for us to get there. So I think in conclusion, the strategies that we put into place, I think, were all good strategies. I think they all could have worked. You know, maybe we should have committed to one a little bit more instead of trying so many of them. But at the same time, it just felt like at any given point, you know, we could get into an observation set and see a big buck and then be able to make a move. Or we were going to be still hunting through and we were going to call one up or we're going to be set up on that scrape in close quarter situations and a buck was going to come to point blank and we were going to have an easy shot opportunity at him. But, you know, it just never quite played out and that's hunting. You know, I think that something that I wish we would have maybe done a little bit more of is just committed to taking more time to observe. You know, this only subtle regret that I have, and it's not even enough to like bum me out or anything. It's like, I think that we had enough solid setups that were aggressive right on the X of where bucks were moving a lot. I think that the weather just didn't quite mm -hmm. get them moving enough. I mean, you guys all know, like, yeah, mid-60s, especially when the average temperature for that year is significantly lower. Yeah, and you can't just will it to happen. It's yeah. just like you got to be – we would have had to be on top of them, I think, for a lot of those days. And, mm -hmm. like, I think the one thing that – and like you said, it doesn't, it's not something that like even bothers me or it's something that we should have done, but what we, something we could have done is just like that cattail marsh area, for example, that we hunted, we probably could have hunted that for like a lot of days in a mm -hmm. row. And like the pressure was just so minimal, the archery pressure that we were seeing in a lot of these spots where it's like, we probably could have managed to just like hunt down areas until we got in to kill something. Mm -hmm. Well, we were finding specific areas that nobody's hunting yeah. at all. I mean, there was definitely hunters, like we were seeing people, but we were finding specific parcels that nobody was hunting at all they weren't big parcels there's just where, a, enough public land to, to go around where you can find plenty yeah. of those spots yeah. and especially when you're bouncing around to like different sized parcels like this piece that we were hunting in this story that we just told where we saw the buck in the dark and we were set up on the scrapes that piece is less than 400 acres so you know taking advantage of all the opportunities i think is something that we did do a good job of you know, looking at things from the outside in, you know, kind of realizing that a specific food source that deer were attracted to leaving public land even to go to private land, you know, is something that we, we focused on a lot. That's what got us the opportunity at the buck on the first leg of the trip. And then that got us in the game for this, you know, this story that we've been telling where we felt like we were really, really close. Just covering ground to find those you're map scouting, but then you're narrowing down your map scouting by mm -hmm. doing like a secondary check off of just mm -hmm. find your, finding your highest percentage spots where it's like, where can I commit my time and be the most useful in these areas that mm -hmm. seem like they'd be good. And then as far as just an overall feel, I think it's something that 
is going to really be hard to master for us and anyone in general. It's something that is seriously challenging is when things aren't going well, how do you keep that positive attitude? And, you know, I felt like we did do a good job of it. You know, every morning we'd wake up, we're fired up, we're gung-ho that we're going to get a buck. And what would end up happening is, is, you know, the morning would go by and we wouldn't see anything. And that had been happening, you know, a couple days prior. It's like, we hadn't seen anything maybe for two days prior. And then, you know, on day three, you don't see any, uh, anything in the morning. Your self-doubt is pretty high at that point. Like, how do you have confidence to... Especially to... if you're hunting alone, too. I think when you're yeah. hunting with someone, you can at least just have that, like, the feeling where you're just like, yeah, we're still we're still in it. It's all right. But, like, if you're alone, that's definitely a hard mm-hmm. thing to overcome. Mm-hmm. I think you got to just keep pushing honestly you just gotta keep doing it like something will break at some point yeah and have times like that yeah and having a good attitude about it is the most important thing and it's hard i mean again having one of your best friends to hunt with makes life a lot easier you can just continue to have fun even though things aren't going your way but you know day in and day out and not seeing anything definitely hurts your confidence now again there was things that we did that i think really helped our confidence in the long run. You know, we came to an area that we've never hunted before. So to me, it's important to go to areas with no prior knowledge. So we specifically told these guys that we're staying with, like, we don't want any extra info. We want to go into it with a clear mind. It's not that we don't appreciate that, you know, support and that help, but the problem with getting too much specific info is they can play a mental game in itself. Like if there's this expectation that, oh, this should be good, then we're going to focus too much on things that somebody else has an experience with versus ourselves. So when we go put our boots on the ground and just go into these areas based off of our gut feeling, I think that that in the long run is better for us. That's at least how I feel. So going into this area that we'd never hunted before and just taking a stab at these different areas and to find the big sign that eventually led us to big bucks, I felt like is something that is a total confidence boost for the future. Especially coming from uh, that first day. Think about that first, the first day when we were still wearing orange back mm-hmm. in youth season. We were walking around. We were just like, let's pick a spot on the map. Like, this looks decent. And we walked into a spot and, like, literally – it was just like, oh, there's some beds from like July in here. And, like there was no sign. And we were able to get to the point where we were on big bucks like pretty quickly. Just mm-hmm. like that evolution of hunting a completely new area. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of specifics that get you there that you can find in different parts of our content, you know, that we could go into so much detail about. But the progression that we took on this hunt is very similar to what we do everywhere we go. And it was just, you know confidence boost that hey this is the right thing in the future we can do this again somewhere else and we're gonna be successful if we just keep chipping away at it and I think you know at the end of the day that's the thing that I'm gonna try to take home from this and moving forward know that I have great experience hunting a completely different habitat type you know it's very flat a lot of marshy swampy habitat that I've never hunted before so I was excited to get some of that experience under my belt that way you know when I'm talking to other hunters that have similar experiences I can pull info from them that you know they can help teach me and hopefully vice versa I can you know have a little bit more experience to talk about that type of stuff that way I'm not just you know making up uh, uh, idea based off of just what I'm looking at from a map, like to actually put boots on the ground, 
have some hunting experience in these areas is definitely going to help. I think both Keith and I as hunters, and I think that's the the main focus. Always, yeah. Thanks for watching the Minnesota videos, guys. I mean, we've had a blast hunting here, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed. Even though we haven't had a lot of cool deer content, hopefully you guys have enjoyed this little segment. We're just trying to do something different to kind of help it be a little bit more entertaining, educational, you know, just to hear kind of the backstory on what we were thinking to get ourselves in this area, in this area to, you know, eventually see a buck five minutes before legal light. <laughs>